step with me into the word maze. In every episode, I share a few words that caught my eye while reading. Then I'll tell you a bit about the three books I found those words in. And near the end of this word maze episode, I share some advice I've come across on writing fiction and sometimes non-fiction. You can find the web companion to this podcast over at wordmaze.cafe. And if we haven't met before, I'm Pilar Orti. Are you ready? Let's enter the word maze. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of Word Maze. If we haven't met before, my name is Pilar Orti and it's the last day of NaNoWriMo today. I am recording on the 30th of November. This is the the thing <laughs> that happens in November where writers or people wanting to write commit to writing 50,000 words over the whole month. And there is a website, you sign up, there's a forum, you can put your word count in there every day, you get badges when you hit certain goals. There's uh, meetups organized, write-ins for people to write in. So there's a whole thing that happens. So if you've never taken part, but have always wanted to write fiction, then go for it. NaNoWriMo.org. That's nano and then write like writing mo. But November only has 30 days and there's no way I'm going to finish today. I think I'm around 43,000 words and it's Thursday. I'm just going to pretend that November has 31 days I have to finish this novel. If you are, well, I'm going to take a few minutes just to talk about my experience in case it resonates with you or just for your entertainment. But if you want to follow some of my process, I have been releasing as part of this show. They were daily episodes. Then at the end, of course, like, like everything, you start really regularly. And then it was like, okay, I can either record my podcast for today or write for 10 more minutes. I'm going to write for 10 more minutes. So I don't know, it, it might be of interest and I will do an episode at the end of it. But yes, if you have any curiosity about uh, that process, then uh, check it out. Uh, and it was the incentive to write for a while, hopping behind the microphone to to tell listeners uh, that, uh, uh, that what was going on with that. It was the incentive to write on the day. But I said, yeah, at the end, I just thought, better write for 10 more minutes. And I'm revisiting a story I came up with three years ago. And it's very interesting. The, the story, the novel has changed a lot. First of all, the point of view changed. The original was written in the first person, and the main reason I did that was because I had no plot. I had one idea and I thought this is going to be easy to write if I put myself in the head of the protagonist and tell the story through her. What has been very interesting is that the first day I started writing, I wrote in the first person. I didn't realize until I finished that it was in the first person. So that needs work later. And it happened yesterday again. <laughs> It's really weird. I was I'd gone into some story from her past and then suddenly I hung on and I had to quickly change all three lines to go into third person again. So maybe the story is telling me something or maybe it's just I can't get out of a habit. I don't know. Um but the second this second time round also I already had a thread, I had a backstory and a cast of characters 
to choose from. So it's been easy to to write in the third person. But also, I have kept the first person when talking about the past for an event. So the whole of this story is hangs around what happened to this woman 20, 30 years ago. And I will make a decision about that at some point, exactly how long, 20 years probably. And when she talks about that event, she's writing a blog. So that is in the first person. So I still kept that. So maybe that's confused me. I don't know. But because of the importance of the psychological effect the event had on her, I thought a blog would be interesting. So that was my device. The other thing I've changed this time around, which is three years later, is that I've really narrowed down the cast of characters. In the first version, because I was still discovering the plot, I brought all sorts of stories in. And one which I was really fond of, which I've dispensed with this time, was um, the protagonist's grandmother and her butler, kind of butler. He, or valet, I don't know, administrator. He looked after her affairs and lived with her. Yeah, it was a really sweet story, although it had a dark undertone as the grandmother hadn't shown any affection for her granddaughter until she died and left her huge inheritance. But I quite like the story of the grandmother and the valet. But anyway, I've, I've left, I've removed that bit, but I've left the inheritance in because it's a, it's a good plot device. Yeah, maybe I can, maybe I can bring a few lines from the valley. I still have two days more. So that's where I am. I am uh, I'm still writing and we shall see. If you've been doing NaNoWriMo, congratulations. If you've never, uh, if you started and dropped it, well, I hope that what you did was useful, even if it's to know, well, actually, this is not the right time for me to, to look into this project. And if you've never given it a try, do consider it. Uh, you might well learn loads. So that's that. Most of I'm writing in the second part of this episode. But before that, let's get into the word maze. Here we go. I'll open up the vocabulary builder on the Kindle paper white and check out some words that, uh, I don't know, they caught my eye while I was reading them, either because I wasn't exactly sure of what they meant or because actually I didn't have a clue what they meant. So the first word, emetic, and it means causing vomiting, or it can be a medicine or other substance. And, oh, you're going to love the context for this one. Fear is emetic. I have to admit, I took an in-breath when I just checked that one out. Fear is emetic. Next word, deliberative. And I've picked this one because although I have used deliberate, I don't think I ever use deliberative or hear it used often. And it means relating to or intended for consideration or discussion. And here's the context in which I found it. Hours of scheming have accidentally delivered the conspirators into the art of deliberative lovemaking. So it wasn't the context I would have expected for the word. (laughs) And the third word of this set, cantilevered. So cantilever or cantilever, I wonder which uh, which one is preferable. So cantilever as a verb, it's usually used as an adjective, like cantilevered, uh, and it means to support by a cantilever, which is a long projecting, I'll go for that again, a long projecting beam or girder fixed at only one end used in bridge construction, or a long bracket or beam projecting from a wall to support a balcony, cornice, etc. Okay, well, no wonder I didn't have a clue what it meant, because I have to admit, 
I have no vocabulary when it comes to anything to do with architecture. That's one part that's, uh, yeah, a side that I've never explored. And so my vocabulary is very, very limited. Okay, let's see the context or as the vocabulary builder uh, refers to it, it's usage. The cantilevered shelf of crumbling concrete where my mother sits has been declared unsafe, even by builders with no interest in their repairs. There you go, quite straightforward. So, these three words, emetic, deliberative, and cantilevered, were words I looked up while I was reading Nutshell by Ian McEwan. If you're already a fan of this writer, go for it, you won't be disappointed. It's just a simple setting. The book is so, the setting is really simple and it is so charming. So the story is told from the point of view of a fetus who hasn't been born yet. It, it really is lovely. It was also the first time I've come across a podcast being mentioned in a book, in a story. So hurrah for that. The, 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 the unborn fetus hears a, a podcast that his mother is listening to. So wonderful. But um, yeah, it's a short read and I really enjoyed it. It's not huge on plot, but that's not the aim of the book. The aim of the book is not to take you into this plot that has twists and turns and unravels. It's just a really... It's just interesting to try and figure out what is really going on in the character's head. Because a fetus, of course, cannot interpret everything that is going on in the outside world. So sometimes as adults, we have to understand what the actions he's narrating really mean. So I love it. Nutshell by Ian McEwen. Okay, let's move on to a completely different book and therefore a completely different set of words. The first one is Frangipani. And it is a tropical American tree or shrub with clusters of fragrant white, pink or yellow flowers. And the origin of this word is quite interesting. It comes from the 19th, mid-19th century, named after the Marquis Muzio Frangipani, a 16th century Italian nobleman who invented a perfume for scenting gloves. There you go. Now, I think in the book it's used in an imaginative way, although it could be that I don't move in the same circles as the characters, so maybe that's why I've never heard it used in this way. So a character says, more frangipani literature, that's what the world wants. I love that, using such a word instead of something a bit more common, like flowery. <laughs> frangipani. Let's see, what's next? Conniptions, a fit of rage or hysterics. <laughs> this is funny, the Kindle entry then says origin, Mid-19th century, probably an invented word. I wonder what Lewis Carroll-type character invented that one. <laughs> Here's the context. I run to the train station, panting with months and years of inactivity, sending my heart rate into conniptions. Love it. A fit or rage of hysterics. I love that. I think I'm going to start using that word more often, conniptions. Okay, final one for this book. And this one is more about the sentence and how it's used rather than the word itself that I found interesting. The word is conflagration and its meaning is an extensive fire which destroys a great deal of land or property. And in the book, since when were nice guys able to extract strangers from their house without a conflagration? So the book, these three words came from Frangipani, Conniptions and Conflagration. They all come from the novel Meat Space by Nikesh Shukla. And it's a very contemporary novel. I think I came across it when listening to 
a good read, which is a BBC radio show, though I listen to it in a podcast form, so check that one out. Or maybe it caught my eye because I've read another of his books, Coconut Unlimited. So not quite sure how I ended up listening to uh, reading this book. And it's a um, space. It's set in the very modern world of Facebook, Twitter. It even talks about Tumblr and of what might happen if we invited some run- random stranger into our lives. Not just some random stranger, but actually someone with our same name. So the book might not be to everyone's taste, but I, I found it to be fun. So that's Meet Space by Nikesh Shukla. Right, now for the words from our non-fiction book. Let's start with one which I might not even be able to pronounce. And if you want to spell it, you probably need to refer to the show notes. You can find them by tapping on the artwork in your podcast app or all the show notes plus lots of words and links to the books uh, and also posts on the writing advice section. You can find them all at wordmaze.cafe. So, first word, schadenfreude. It's a really great word from the German, which means pleasure derived by someone from another person's misfortune. Love it. Now, the sentence in which it's found doesn't say much about plot, but I think it says something about the character speaking it, who is, by the way, the writer. Oh, I gave something away about the book ahead of time. I like to keep everything Dillian, but never mind. Here we go. But such moments of schadenfreude were few and far between. And this was pleasure derived by someone from another person's misfortune. Now for another yummy word. Um, Yummy in its sound, but not its meaning. Scuzzy, which means something regarded as disgusting, sordid or disreputable. Wow, you really don't want to be called scuzzy. And the Kindle says it's of American origin, so I'm surprised to see it here because the author of this book is very British. Oh no, I gave something away again about about the book. I'm not doing very well in this one. Okay, let's see it in context. Now I'm walking west down the scuzzy end of Oxford Street towards Marble Arch. I know what he means. Uh, I've given away the author is male. Oh no. (laughs) Okay, anyway, I know what he means. I live in London and I try to avoid Oxford Street altogether. And he is right. This particular bit of Oxford Street is not very nice. Okay, let's go for the third word from this book and then I'll give you the title. In fact, I've chosen a word in a sentence which will give a bit more away. And the word is rebuke. It can be used as a verb or noun, but the meaning stays the same in verb or noun form. So in this instance, it's used as a noun. So I'll give you that definition. A rebuke, an expression of sharp disapproval or criticism. So let me dig out the context. My career, acting, comedy, which at the time of every other crush had been a consolation and a distraction this time felt like a rebuke. Now, what was interesting about this is that I used the Kindle application on my computer to look for the context. And the reason I did this was I can cut and paste from it. Um, So this is what I use while preparing the script for this podcast. So instead of having to type it from my paper white onto the script, I use the Kindle app, cut and paste, and it gives you the reference. Really good. Um, Now, that's not the interesting bit. What's more interesting is that when I search for the word rebuke in the Kindle app, I saw that it had been used three times in the book. 
That's a lot of rebuking. <laughs> so I hear you ask, who is it? Whose memoir are we talking about here? Well, if you're based in the UK, you will probably recognize the name David Mitchell. So not the novel author, but the actor, best known for Peep Show. And the book is his memoir, Backstory, which I think is a great title because the whole book is framed during a very long walk, which he needs to take daily because he has problems with his back. And of course, Backstory is also, well, the past of a character. So a great title and a great beginning to the book. Let me read you a few lines. This is one of those misery memoirs, and it's one of those celebrity memoirs. It's also a very personal journey, a manual for urban ramblers and a weight loss guide. Surely it will sell? <laughs> it's a fun read. I have to say I got lots of inspiration from, uh, from it when I was working on my own little memoir. Hi, I'm here for a recording, The Ordinary uh, Life of a Voiceover Artist. And you can find that online in digital and paperback. So uh, check it out. Why not? Now, before I recap the three books I've mentioned today, let's recap the last set of words found in Backstory. Schadenfreude, Scuzzy and Rebuke. And the three books I've recommended to you today were, just said, Backstory by David Mitchell, Nutshell by Ian McEwan, and Meet Space by Nikesh Shukla. Today's writing advice, well, it's very timely for me and for anyone. Um, well, actually, I'm saying it's timely, but it's the end of NaNoWriMo. So maybe this would have been quite interesting at the beginning of the process. But uh, anyway, it's always timely. Someone out there always wants to write quickly. And um, I actually came across it some time ago in an episode of The Creative Pen. That's pen with a double N. And I've referred to this uh, show before. Anyone who's listening to this who has any interest in self-publishing or making writing their business, their main source of income will have heard of Joanna Penn. And the episode I want to refer to today is the one with guest Rachel Aaron. Um, it aired on the 10th of July, 2017, and it's called How to Write Fast, Pub Publish Slowly and Focus on Your Author Marketing. Now, Rachel Aaron has a book called 2000 to 10,000, which is all about learning to write fast by being extremely prepared. So this is what works for her. Haven't read the book yet. And the whole idea of learning how to write fast, in fact, of allowing yourself to write fast, because let's face it, a lot of the time when we're looking at almost doing anything, um, first, we need to give ourselves a license to do something rather than necessarily learn how to do it. So first, let's say, okay, I'm going to just write and I'm going to uh, start just laying down words on the page. Once we've done that, then we can practice that. A lot of the indecision in writing um, is about how to say something, and I'm going to quote uh, Rachel Aaron here, what to say, how to say it, what's the best thing here. But a lot of that decision-making isn't actually about the actual words. It's really about their characters, their motivations, and what's happening in the scene. I get that. Sometimes when I'm stuck, it's because I really don't have a clue of what's going on next. <laughs> it's not about I don't have the best words to say it in, it's that actually I don't know where this is going. So, Something that's been different this time round for me has indeed been that preparation. I, when I 
when I started writing, I haven't always had an idea of what was going to happen in the scene because I prefer to discover that as I go along. But I knew what the scene's objective was in the context of the story itself. So was it to change the rhythm? Was it to introduce a new character? Was it to give the reader a, a breather from the main character and introduce them to someone else instead? Was it to change the atmosphere from an intense two-hander to a wider, more fluffy scene in a, in a bigger group? Was it to give backstory, to introduce a point of suspense, etc.? So sometimes I didn't exactly know what was happening, but I knew a little bit more intellectually what the uh, scene's uh, role was within the whole story. And in knowing that, I found that I needed a little bit of an arc for the scene or for the section. So this helped me. Um, so I actually got to know the characters as I wrote the scene because they needed to have an arc. They quite like that. I, I, I actually, something else I've discovered is that I write to discover. Of course, I always hope that there will be readers for my books, but ultimately as I write, I discover stories that come from my past or images from my imagination. I realize how characters I'm creating are different or similar to myself or to other people in my life or or even characters I've encountered, um, I've encountered in other fiction. And then when I write nonfiction, I write and I discover my opinions, my own take on other people's suggestions and advice. And through the writing, I really get to the core of what's important to me. However, having said all of that, I've also discovered, and it might be different for you or similar, and I would love to know, wordmaze.cafe for comments. I've discovered that until I start typing away, I don't really access the important bits of my mind, uh, whether they're those bits buried away in the subconscious or those metaphors or those made-up characters and situations or in nonfiction, those ideas I haven't yet taken ownership of until I um, sit down and type. Uh, I, I can't articulate them. It's really interesting. Well, you can see the difficulty I'm having now. Um, so it's really for me, uh, writing fast is about going straight into my subconscious and finding the stuff that I haven't quite discovered or nailed down yet. For some people, it's the daily exercise of free writing that does the trick. This is how they discover that. I found that I need to be thinking that what I'm writing is eventually going to be read for it to be important enough to let myself go. So I don't do any free writing where it's just, oh, this is just for me. I don't do any diaries, nothing like that, because that doesn't, the stakes are not high enough for that. I need to think that eventually some of what I'm writing is going to be public. Uh, it's in the thinking of channeling my thinking through the page to others that I access the, inter uh, the interesting parts of my mind. It's knowing that I'm only going to be writing for myself doesn't really work, <laughs> which is funny because ultimately I rarely write for the, for the reader. I write for myself, hoping that there are people like me out there who will enjoy what comes out. It's a little bit like podcasting, <laughs> let's face it. I don't talk to myself a lot, but I do it in front of a mic and then I release it and... Um, but ultimately, I'm discovering a lot through podcasting also. So let's make this a bit more about you. If you want to increase your word speed, then step away from the computer and plan in whatever way is useful. So as I said, maybe it's planning the character, the scene, the content, the mood, what the scene is supposed to do in the context of the story. 
And then it's seeing what helps you to get to the point where you sit down. So one thing I've discovered is that in order to write quite fast, I need to have procrastinated for at least an hour. Maybe it's so I can feel there's an urgency uh, because, oh, I've wasted all that time and now I can't, I don't have two hours now, I only have one. So that makes me type faster. So I know I can write about 300 words in 15 minutes, but I also know that to write for an hour, I need to have been thinking about sitting down to write for at least another hour. That's why if you're relatively new to writing and you like to set yourself goals or deadlines, then it's always good to set aside a time when your writing is your focus, at least in your head, if not practically through the day. And that's why I did NaNoWriMo, because through doing it, I know that it has to be at the front of my mind for a month. And through NaNoWriMo, also, I've discovered a lot about what I need to write, so all these things. That's all for today. I think I've, uh, I've gone on long enough. Uh, uh, let me leave you, though, with one of the most inspiring quotes I've come across this month. And it comes from Grant Faulkner, who's the CEO of NaNoWriMo. And it arrived in my inbox, in my NaNoWriMo inbox a couple of days ago. Don't write what you know. Write what you want to know. All right, I'll leave that hanging there. And I'll recap today's words. Emetic. Deliberative, cantilevered, frangipani, conniptions, conflagration, schadenfreude, scuzzy, rebuke. Do you remember their meaning? Stay curious, enjoy reading, and keep writing. <laughs>